Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Still Standing with Valerie Silvera. I'm always happy to be here, and I can almost feel you on the other side of this microphone. And I hope that somehow today you just get even one or two little nuggets, some kind of inspiration, some motivation, and hopefully it will empower you to do something to stand up, to get up, to put one foot in front of the other and take some action because we can wish, hope, dream and and wait for, even pray for our lives to change, for things to turn around, for the shitstorm to stop. But if we don't do something, take part, no matter how much faith you have, no matter how much belief you might have in the future, we're still responsible for doing our part, for moving forward. And so today I just wanted to chat with you about one of my nine weapons of hope called Your Decisions. And I want to explain to you a little bit more about what's involved in Your Decisions because this is one of the nine things, by the way, this is one of the nine things that I did, that I still do. First, to get up off of the mat and to take my life in a different direction. Because I was in a bad place when I stood up and decided to reclaim my life. And somehow, I didn't know how. I mean, I was like clawing my way in the dark. I didn't know how I was going to do it, where I was going, how I was going to get there. But I just knew my life had to change. And so this is one of the nine things. And I originally called these nine things the nine actions. And the nine weapons of hope have just taken these nine actions to a new level. But they are the same basic core concepts. In any case, whether or not you're familiar with the nine actions, let's talk a little bit more about this weapon, your decisions. And it's the one that I put first in my new nine weapons course. I have this one first and, and no matter what version of these nine things, I've always had this one as the first one. And here's the reason. If you don't first make a decision, nothing is going to change. It's just not. As I said before, you can sit around and hope and wish and and even pray. But until you make a decision and then put some action behind that decision, nothing is going to change. I mean, maybe coincidentally or some things in your life will move out of the way and, and it will feel like you didn't have to do anything. But for the most part, we do. What if nothing changes? What if things get worse? For me, you know my story. For me, my daughter Jamie was in her addiction and it was bad. I mean, I don't even want to get into all the details. I've never even told all the details because it would be a Jerry Springer episode. And for those of you who have dealt with something similar, you don't need to hear all the details. You're living it. But even for those of you who haven't, it's just whatever it is we go through, it's big to you. So for me, the most important thing in my life was being a mom. And doing a good job, even though I was divorced when Jamie and Sean were one and three. And I felt bad about that. I was sorry that I hadn't chosen the right person. You know, that I decided to get married at 20 years old and just didn't have a solid foundation so that I could stay married and give them that. And I I feel bad about that because I came from a broken home and I always envied my friends in the neighborhood friends that I had at school that had both parents at home and seemed to have a real peaceful home. 
And so I, I never wanted that for my kids. And there I was kind of re on repeat, right? So I did feel bad about that. But all we can do is go forward, right? All we can do is go forward. And so I tried my best to be a, a good single mom and raise my kids in a safe home that was happy and and give them some things that some opportunities and have them play sports and do different things. And so I really felt like I was doing a pretty good job as a mother. And so when Jamie became an addict, and, and first of all, her life started falling apart when she was 15 and we just couldn't stop it. You know, and she stopped select softball and high school softball and youth group. And pretty soon she dropped out of school and it was just, the whole thing was just falling apart for a good three years. And then, you know, you hear about how I told you that my Jamie was shot when she was 18 and it was near fatal. It was a very serious. Uh, it was an abdominal gunshot wound and she had 50 staples holding her gut back together after they, you know, filleted her open like a fish to stop the bleeding and save her life. But that, those first three years of not being able to stop whatever in the world was happening in the future, that really took a toll on me. I mean, it was devastating. It took a toll on, on everything, my marriage, my family. And because remember, this was the most important thing to me. Sure, a lot of other things were important, but being a parent was the most important to me. It was the thing I valued the most. And so I felt like I'd let God down. I mean, just the whole thing. And then she gets shot and all this stuff is just happening. And then after that, she becomes addicted to the opiates prescribed in the hospital. And then we start having all sorts of challenges with my husband's business and just all the stuff is happening. It's coming at me. And so I spend 13 years riding the roller coaster from hell, right? You've heard that from me before. And I'm, I'm riding this thing and I've got this codependent enabler beast. He's in the controls. You know, he's driving the thing. <laughs> and it's one of these rides that doesn't stop. It just keeps going and going and going. And I'm just getting further and further into depression and despair and hopelessness and helplessness. And I'm literally living in paralyzing fear. My life is so bad compared to what I thought it would be. Now, on the outside looking in, I want you to know, I'm living in a nice house. Again, my husband's business is having a very difficult time. It was during a stock market crash and, you know, we'd lost all of our savings in that. And then, you know, my husband is writing checks to keep this company afloat to do the right thing, but it's at the expense of all the equity in our home. And, you know, I don't want to get into all my personal stuff, but suffice to say, life was difficult. And the outside, you know, we're living in the nice house, we're smiling and we're living our lives and it seems fine. The anguish that I felt inside, it wasn't fine. And in fact, in many ways, I felt like a fraud because I was a very private person and I didn't want people to know about my stuff. Not out of pride, really. I mean, maybe there was an element of that, but mainly just because I just wasn't that kind of person. And I wanted to be the happy person. I didn't want to be have people feel sorry for me and all that. So nobody really knew. And so I felt like I'm putting on a show, you know, like an actress who's about ready to have her last curtain call because I'm going down. I'm going down hard. And so there I find myself in such a depression that I'm feeling like I don't want to be here anymore. And... Anyway, for me, I just really, even though I was in despair, it's really kind of weird because even though I was in such despair, it was really hitting that rock bottom moment for me when I really, truly felt like I didn't want to be here anymore. That sprung me into action. Now, when I make comments like that, <laughs> I, I think about you picturing me just springing into action, you know, jumping right up and off I went. 
in an uphill direction and everything was great. Or should I say downhill? Everything was smooth sailing. That wasn't it at all. Because when I made my initial decision, as I said before, I had no idea what in the hell I was doing. I just knew I couldn't live that way anymore. I knew I had to find a different way. I realized that my poor husband, how he must have been feeling because I'm telling him I don't want to be here anymore and he can't do anything about it. And it just, I just really felt bad for how he was feeling and he was feeling bad for me and around and around we went. And my son, Sean, you know, he's losing his sister. He doesn't even have a relationship with her anymore. He's going through all his own stuff with that. Um, and, and then, you know, even though I'm pretending, he's pretty intuitive. And, and, I, and I knew that he knew somehow, even though I rarely voiced to him how I was feeling, he knew. And so anyway, my whole family's falling apart. You know, this thing that I valued the most is completely falling apart. It's in a shambles. And all around me are my other family members who I didn't feel like were any better parents than I was. And their kids are all doing well. And it just seemed so unfair. And just, it was just really a bad, bad, bad period of my life. And one that I never imagined. Because I'm a bottom line, get stuff done kind of person, make, you know, what happened. And I always thought that if I did the right things, as you know, to the best of my ability, obviously we all make mistakes and stuff, but... I thought if I really tried to be a good person and be honest and have integrity and work hard and, you know, do all the good stuff, that what would follow? You know, a good life. And it didn't seem to matter. No matter how hard I tried, my family was still falling apart. Jamie was going further into her addiction. I'm spiraling deeper and deeper into hopelessness. And the whole thing was just a shit show, honestly. So when I decided to stand up and fight, and, you know, over time came up with these nine things, it really resonated with me deeply when I started to think about what I was doing to get better and how it was all working, that I had to keep going back to this one thing. And it was making decisions. I had to keep deciding to stand up and fight because, as will happen with you, even though you decide, you're going to fall down again. You're going to stumble you're going to lay flat down on the mat and let your beast get right back on top of you like I did many times. You know, I call mine the codependent enabler beast. And by the way, I could probably give him a lot more nicknames. But that was the main driving force behind my beast. You know, and these beasts are these things that, that we internalize, these experiences and feelings and, and these things that become us. And the reason I like calling it the beast is because I don't want it to become you. I don't want you to think that grief is you that shame is you, that you are guilt, that your role as, you know, for me, the mom of an addict or a divorced person, somebody who's betrayed you, that doesn't become the label that defines you. That's why I like thinking about it as the beast. And I have other reasons for calling these things the beast that are spiritual in nature. And I'll talk about that a little bit more on a, on a future podcast when I'm going to talk about that, your spiritual armor. But anyway, these beasts... You know, I felt like mine just had me down. And no matter how hard I, I kept trying to get up, but then he'd whisper in my ear and he'd scream in my face that I was a terrible mother. And let me tell you what, he told me lots of other stuff too, but that one had me so strongly. That's the one that got me the most. You know, it, it, I heard other stuff in my head too about a disappointment I was to my husband 
a failure that I was as a businesswoman. I mean, you name it. I had myself, you know, convinced. But the one that hurt the most was that I was a bad mother, that I had failed my children. I couldn't save my only daughter. And attached to that was the fact that I had disappointed God. He gave me, Jamie, this precious little gift. And what did I do with it? I messed it up. I was convinced that Jamie's addiction was about me. I knew it was about her choices. But when I looked for somebody to blame, it seemed easier to blame me than her. So anyway, I'm just a big old mess. And so what I decided was when I started to get better, when I did employ things to a greater extent, like my spiritual armor, which contains all sorts of stuff, when I started to take better care of myself, when I gave myself permission to matter, things did start to change because I kept fighting and fighting and, and getting back up and, and deciding. But it was there was no, dis, no question in my mind that decisions were at the core of everything. Because as I said before, if you don't first make a decision, you're not going to do anything, right? It's, a, it's the cycle, the decision cycle. It goes, you know, you decide and then you make a commitment. If you, if you miss that commitment step, you're going to be right back at the decision point quickly. <laughs> so, you know, you make a decision, you make a commitment, and then you take action. And then you start to make further decisions in support of your initial decision, right? More actions, more decisions, more actions, more decisions. Sometimes you have to revisit your pivotal decision. I call it that old, that overriding thing. For me, it was to be happy. This was initially what it was about for me. I wanted to be happy for an hour at a time and mean it and not be faking it. Really joyful and happy and peaceful. I wanted that feeling for one stinking hour. That was my initial goal. That was my pivotal decision. And so, you know, I kept, obviously, because I had all these other pieces of my life that were, you know, out of control, I had to keep coming back to the decision point. And like I said, this is one of the nine weapons of hope. And so there are eight other things that I had to do. But, but this decision thing kept, it helped every one of those, right? I have a, a weapon of hope called your release. It's about letting go and using the F word. And, and I'll talk about that in a future podcast too, but those that that you doing that releasing things letting go of control starting to understand what i had control over that took decisions it kept sending me right back to decisions and so i i really encourage you to make a decision and a pivotal decision i call it that because it's the thing that can alter the course of your life and it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to be the snap of a finger it's going to take a lot of work and effort and some resources and commitment. It's going to take a lot, but I think it'll be worth it because time is precious, my friend, and it is screaming by. I am literally in shock that we are headed to the middle of May. It seems like I just got through saying to Rich, can you believe we have one quarter of the year gone? And I know I talk about this a lot and, and everyone talks about it a lot because it's true. Time just keeps going by quicker and quicker and quicker. And it's so precious that we don't have time to waste riding those roller coasters from hell. Like I was riding, like you might be riding. And you know, for me, when I first stood up to fight, I told you I wanted an hour of happiness, but I needed a catalyst. I needed something to, to spur me on, you know, to really get me to do it. Because remember, I didn't care about myself much. Obviously, I'm saying I didn't want to be here anymore. 
So I initially stood up to fight for my son, Sean, because I thought, gosh, what a, you know, what a, talk about a loser. That's how I felt. I mean, I'm not saying that, that I was a loser or suggesting that you should ever make yourself feel like one, but that's how I felt. And I'm sure you can understand what I'm talking about. I thought, what, you know, as bad as I was feeling about everything else, really? This is what I was going to show my son, John? Wow. That you give up? Even though what I was facing was massive. What if he faces something massive in his life? He, who's going to show him? How is he going to know what to do? So I knew that I had to somehow be better for him and also, and not squander an opportunity to show him, but also I didn't want him to lose his mother along with his sister. Now, by the way, I was still living in hope that he wasn't going to lose his sister, but it was happening. His relationship had crumbled with his first best friend and his only sibling. And I just couldn't allow that to happen to him. I just, I, I just thought that'd be a horrible thing for me to allow. And so I initially stood up for him and, you know, then I started fighting the right battle. And it's because initially what happens sometimes for some of you, I don't know what you're going through and this might not relate to you at all, but sometimes we're fighting the wrong battle. And so when I suggest to people, they should stand up and fight, they should make these decisions. They get kind of, you know, starry eyed and go, Whoa, wait a minute here. I'm so tired right now. I couldn't even think about fighting something else, something new, something more. I'm often suggesting that you look at what you're fighting and maybe it needs to be something different because I spent 13 years trying to fight my daughter's addiction and all. And I didn't even know, by the way, for the first few years that it was addiction. I, I suspected, but I had no proof. But my daughter's life was, you know, going sideways and she was the smartest, most gifted person I knew. And it was just, you know, it was all falling apart. And so I was trying to fix that. I wasn't trying to fix me. I wasn't trying to help me through this. I just wanted to fix her because if I could fix her, then I would be okay. And I finally realized that I had to start fighting the right battle. And as heartbreaking as all of it was, when I started to fight the battle that was for me to become strong and courageous and, and figure out how to live with all of this horrible stuff going on, it was actually much more energizing because I was fighting the right battle. And, you know, for a lot of years, I just made excuses. I made excuses. I didn't want to get better. I wanted her to get better. I mean, I'm just telling you straight up like it was. I didn't have to get better. I was a good person. What did I have to fix? You know, we all can be better. We all can fix ourselves. And the bottom line is that's the only person we have control over. And so I finally stopped making excuses and started finding reasons for me to change, for me to get stronger, for me to become more. Um, because you know what? I don't want to live with regrets anymore. I was regretting so much. And even though I, if, if I, I would give anything to have stopped what was happening, I would give anything to have my daughter here today. I didn't have a choice in that matter. And so I just didn't want to live in regret that I didn't use my trauma, that I didn't use my trauma for good, that I didn't decide to stand up and do something with it. And so, you know, I, I just decided I'm going to stay in the ring until the final round, no matter what it takes, whatever in the heck it takes, I'm not going to give up. And, and it's been a battle royale. And I still fight this. I still use the nine weapons of hope. This weapon called your decisions is something I use all the time. And in my nine weapons of hope course, which is there are nine separate guidebooks 
And then I have video guidance, short video guidance for every single module within each of these actions. And I take you through the first one, your decisions, that weapon. I take you first through that one. And when you get finished with that one and get your certificate, <laughs> then I take you to the next one, which is your attitude. That's why I decided to put them in a specific order that I think will help most people the most. Um, and anyway, so you'll see though, if you really get in and start working these, you'll start to see how intertwined they are. You'll see how interdependent they are while each one can be standalone. So I could really think something's going on in my life right now. I know what I need to do. I need to pull out that weapon called your decisions and I need to get in here and, and really start going back to that. I, I'm at a point where I really need to go and use that again. But it's interesting how when you're using all nine of them, you kind of, there, there's so much synergy that you begin to draw on different little nuggets and aspects of each one or one or two or a few when you're having an issue. And so anyway, whether or not you get my nine weapons of hope course, I really hope you do because it'll really help you. I mean, I believe it will help with the big, huge beasts in our lives and even with the small little everyday issues we face because those can sure pile on too and, and become a big monster, can't they? So I just wanted you to understand about your decisions. And again, even if you, I never see you in my nine weapons of hope membership, I hope that this message today helps you a little bit. I hope that somehow something, you know, some little light bulb went on and you thought, yep, that's me. You know, I need to think about how precious time is, or I need to stop making excuses and start finding reasons, or I need to make more decisions and, and keep fighting and keep and be committed after I make my decisions. Whatever it is you heard today, you know, my hope and prayer always is that I can just leave you a little better leave you with a little something. I'm hoping that that these podcasts that I'm doing are just putting a little seed inside of you, that I'm investing a little something in you because your story is so darn valuable and I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear that you made the decision to stand up and fight. You got committed and you started working through things and you, you started using your trauma for good. Because, I mean, life's tough and stuff happens to us and it's a bummer and it can get us down and it's so easy to become a victim. It's so natural and normal to want to stay down on that mat and even let that beast get on top of you and scream in your ear. It's understandable. But what if, what if instead of that, you said, I'm going to use my trauma. I'm going to use the pain. I'm going to use this like jet fuel. And it's going to propel me. It's, I'm going to leave this earth knowing that my pain was not for, for just being in pain. That my trauma, my sadness, my loss was not simply that. But it was I used it as a building block to help at least one other person to give them hope. Because that's what it's all about, my friend. When somebody sees you taking what has happened to you and using it as fuel for good, it's incredible because that helps them to believe if you can do it, that they can too. Be sure to link arms with me at ValerieSilvera.com. You can find free resources, the nine weapons of hope, our trauma disruptors community, and my newsletter. You're not alone and we shouldn't try to do this alone. 
Let's stand together shoulder to shoulder. Let's disrupt trauma for good. This is your time. It's your moment. I'm standing right there with you.